0: Welcome to our look together at Acts chapter 15. This is day two of week four. And as we enter into looking at this chapter, we're going to be talking about when life gets sticky and things may seem to be going along great and all of a sudden you run into one of those four star sticky situations. seems like nobody's going to be happy. It can't be solved. Everything's going to blow up in your face. Like a kid who tries to get just a little too big a bubble out of his gum. Everything blows up and life gets really sticky, really messy. In verse 2 of Acts chapter 15, you see the results of one of the greatest evangelistic efforts in Christian history, Paul's first missionary journey. He'd expect that the results would be all good, but they're not. As we talked about yesterday, with growth comes problems. So in chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The result of this great missionary journey was great dissension and great debate. Now, what was the issue? The issue was through a group of upset former, probably Pharisees, like Paul was a former Pharisee, a group who had trusted in the law and had given up much of that trust in the law to trust in Christ. The former Pharisee had been taught all of his life to uphold the Jewish faith. That idea had been let go of when he came to Jesus Christ, but sometimes it crept back in. And it crept back in with the idea that somehow, in order for people to be saved by Jesus, they had to first become Jewish. Lloyd Ogilby says about this passage, the Pharisee Christians banded together, to make sure that no one slipped by Mount Sinai on the way to Mount Calvary. Mount Sinai, where the law was given, Mount Calvary, where Jesus died for us. That no one slipped by the law on the way to grace. And so those that believed this saw this first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas not as a cause for rejoicing, but as a cause for alarm. So much so that they went into Antioch and began preaching the message. No, all these new Gentile believers, they've got to be circumcised. They have to follow the exact commands that God gave in the Old Testament, beginning with Abraham. They, in one sense, stood with one foot on the dock of the old law in the Old Testament and the other foot on the the boat of God's grace. And Paul's revving the engine of God's grace, and they're getting more and more worried. We're going to fall in. We can't make this work. The early church deals with this problem. We talked about that yesterday. You deal with the problem. And in dealing with it, they show us, they teach us some great lessons about how to make decisions As a church, or also in your family, also in a business. To their credit, the early church does not resort to human politics, but instead shows some great spiritual wisdom in the way that they handled this problem. What do they do? How do you handle a sharp disagreement with another believer? Number one, you get together. You can't handle a disagreement unless you're talking with each other, so you get together. In verse four, when they came to Jerusalem... They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything that God had done through them. They went all the way from Antioch to Jerusalem so they could get together. Some people won't even go across the room to get together, across the street to get together. So no wonder the problem goes on for years and years and years. Now, I can't promise you that when you get together with someone that you have a disagreement with that it's going to be solved. I can't promise that. But I can promise you that if you never get together, it's never going to get solved. So you get together. It starts there. They made the decision to do that. Second thing you do is this. You get it out in the open. You don't just talk around the problem or talk about another problem instead of the problem. You talk about about the problem. Verse five, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. That's clear. They didn't play politics. They just said what they believed. That would be so refreshing, wouldn't it sometimes? This happened immediately in their conversation. Sometimes it takes us many conversations, seemingly weeks and months to get to that point. All I can do is the best I know how, be honest in the situation. And then I rely on God to motivate the other person to be honest in that situation. You get it out in the open. Until you get it out in the open, you can't go any further. And if you're trying to solve a situation with someone and you've gone to them and you can't get it out in the open, then you need to leave it in the hands of God. Because until the problem's out in the open, nothing can happen. The second thing you do is you get it out in the open. Third thing you do is you get the heart of God. You get the heart of God on this issue. And what do you look to to get the heart of God? We get some strong lessons here. You look to the truth of what God's done in your life. You tell the stories of what God's done in other people's lives. And you look at the word of God, the truth of what God wants to do in all of our lives. Look, first of all, at the truth of what God's done in your life. It's hypocritical in a disagreement to talk against what God's doing in your own life just because you want to angle for somebody else to do something or just because you're trying to please another. In honesty, you have to say, this is how God has worked in my life, and that's exactly what Peter does. In verse 6, the apostles and elders met together to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and he addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then why do you try to test God by putting on their necks on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, We believe it is through by the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Peter just stands up and he speaks with honesty. He says, God came to me. Remember a few weeks ago, we looked at Cornelius and Peter and how God had shown him that the Gentiles were to hear the message of the good news. But Peter is even more honest than that. He says, not only is this true, but it's also true. We've not ever been able to keep this law. We've never been able to follow the ways of God. We've never been able to entirely, perfectly keep the Old Testament law. It is a yoke on our neck. So why would we ask them to do this when it's the grace of Jesus that saves us? You look at the truth of your experience. That's how you get to the heart of God on the issue. Second thing you do is you look at the stories of what God has done. You tell those stories. In verse 12, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. Sometimes the reason we have a disagreement is because the stories haven't been told. You haven't told what God has done in your life or what you've seen God do in somebody else's life that's causing you to think the way that you do. You think somebody else is going to think that way. You need to tell the story. Tell the story of what happened in your family. Tell the story of what happened on a missionary trip. Tell the story of what happened as you shared the good news with somebody else. You tell the story and that brings somebody else to the same place as you are. But then you do a third thing to get to the heart of God on the issue, and it's the most important. You look at the Word of God. If God's Word confirms your story and your experience, (laughs) that strengthens it. If God's Word tells you that your story and your experience is heading you in the wrong direction, then you listen to God's Word first. It has the authority. In verses 13 to 16, down to verse 17, when they finished, James spoke up. Now, this isn't the James who was martyred a few chapters ago. This is James, the brother of Jesus. James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. Wow. This preaching that James, the brother of Jesus, does turns the entire group to the word of God. In the end, you have to look back to God's word and see the confirmation in God's word for the experience that you're having, for what God is doing in your life. So you look at what God's doing. You enjoy what God's doing. You're excited about what God's doing. Then you look at the word of God. You get the heart of God on the issue. So what do you do? You get together. You get it out in the open. You get the heart of God on the issue. But then you've got to do a fourth thing. got to make a clear decision. In verse 19, it is my judgment, Peter says, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times, and is read in the synagogue on every Sabbath. Peter says these things that everyone knows that have to do with morality, that everyone is following, We'll tell them to do that, but we're not going to ask them to keep entire Old Testament law. That is leadership. Peter makes a decision. He doesn't say we're going to go out from here and each go our different ways. He makes a decision. And then he does something else. And this is what you have to do in order for an indecisive moment not to overwhelm the opportunity. They've come together. They've gotten together. They've made a decision. But if no one else knows, what's going to happen? So you have to communicate that decision to everyone, which they did. They wrote a letter. And then in verse 22, then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they chose Judas, called Barsabbas and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. With them, they sent the following letter. And I'm not going to read the entire letter, but the letter lays out what we just talked about together. They communicated it to everyone. This is where leadership often falls down. A decision gets made in a room, but it doesn't get communicated to everyone. One of the major tasks of leadership, leadership in your family, leadership in your school, leadership in your work, leadership in community, is communicating the decision so that all can know God does great things. And because of that, verse 30 happens. The men were sent off and they went to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. And the people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. That is great. All the problems are solved, right? The Jerusalem conference has happened. That's what this conference is called. That happens in Acts chapter 15. This chapter on the disagreement in the church, very interesting. It ends with a disagreement between two friends. Verse 36, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. This chapter reminds us not to be afraid of disagreement between believers, even between brothers. They just saw things differently, and so they did different ministries. It's not that one gave up on ministry and the other went ahead with ministry. They just did different ministries. While the church has to come to agreement theologically, we've got to agree on who Jesus is, these two men did not have to agree relationally. They could agree on loving Jesus, but go separate ways in ministry. There's a great lesson here. Maybe one needing to hear this week. Do not treat a personal disagreement the same as a theological disagreement. I've seen a lot of people struggle with this one. Uh, they make a personal disagreement into a theological issue, and all of a sudden, you don't love Jesus if you won't see it like I see it. You won't love Jesus if you won't talk with me again and again and again and again so that eventually we're doing the same thing. Sometimes you just disagree. And you know what? God used Paul and God used Barnabas. And by the way, eventually we're going to see in the book of Acts, and the later letters of the New Testament, they come back together and they begin to serve together again. God has a plan. Don't treat a theological disagreement the same as a personal disagreement. One needs to be solved. The other may be able to be solved but maybe in love, and saying we both love Jesus Christ, there comes a point where you say we're going to do different ministries now. As we end this complicated chapter, complicated because we hate to disagree, let's ask for the simplicity of God's truth in our lives. Jesus, while we as human beings may disagree, we don't have to disagree with you, because your way is always the right way. You are Lord. And so help us, instead of following people, we're getting caught up in petty human politics of getting our way. Help us to get caught up in loving you. Help us to get caught up in following you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.